0: Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Dear Lord, we pray. For your servants' lips, for your people's ears and hearts, that today as they are joined together, the seed of your word might be planted, and we pray that seed would be brought forth with an everlasting resurrection joy. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Jack plays the bagpipes. ...from Lexington, and it's a nice party trick, but it also gets him some gigs here and there, and every now and then a funeral home will call him, and so uh, Jack got a call this past October uh, about a woman who was going to be buried in eastern Kentucky... She'd lived in New Jersey for most of her life, but had ties to eastern Kentucky. And so the, the family just wanted uh, Amazing Grace, played twice at the graveside. The funeral director said, now, there'll just be a couple of people there from the funeral home, and the husband will be there, and, and maybe a brother or sister. It's going to be a very small thing. But if you can just go and play Amazing Grace, that's what we need done. Well, I don't know about you, but occasionally I do something dumb like forget to plug my phone in at night. Which is okay until you need it for something in the daytime and poor Jack. Poor Jack plugged into his GPS the location of this graveside service and about seven miles from where he was supposed to be, the phone just went dead. He thought, okay, I'm going to turn left here, and he turned left there, and there wasn't anything. The next place didn't look like a place there would be any cemetery, so he didn't turn there. He looked at his watch, and he was running a little late. And so, finally he made the next left turn that, that he could, and he was absolutely thrilled to see, a white van with an older gentleman standing next to it, and two guys with with shovels in their hands. He was embarrassed because he'd almost missed it, but he pulled up and hastily grabbed his bagpipe and and put it on, and he approached the older man and the the two younger gentlemen, and, and he started playing Amazing Grace. And he played it with gusto and with gumption. And when he had finished playing it through twice, the three men just looked at him. Not knowing what else to do, Jack said, Let us pray. He said, Lord, it is difficult in times like this to trust you, but I pray that you would give us all strength, that you would give us all courage, I pray that you would be with us in a special way today. Amen. And he went by and he shook the three men's hand and he got in his car and he drove away. At which point, the older gentleman who had been leaning up against the van said, I've been putting in septic tanks for over 40 years now. And I had never seen anything like that before. It's an unusual scene, okay? We've got Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus. They're having a dinner and suddenly Mary comes in and she's got this extraordinarily expensive bottle of perfume. How expensive was it? Well, Judas ends up saying it could have been sold for 300 denarii. Now, a denarius was the average day laborer's wage. And so for the average day laborer, we've got 300 days worth of labor that are here in this bottle. This is no cheap perfume. This is no imitation perfume. It's not inspired by. It is in fact the real thing. And Mary comes in and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. She pours it on the feet of Jesus. One of the things that I find interesting about these eight verses is that if you really look, Judas gets more attention than we might think he would get in this brief passage. If I were dividing this passage up and and making an outline, here's what I'd say. Verses 1 and 2 are the setting of the story it tells us where Jesus is it tells us what's going on verse 3 the single verse talks about Mary coming in and pouring the perfume on Jesus feet and verses 4 5 and 6 the largest chunk of verses in this 8 verse block are given to Judas Judas objects Judas says what a waste Judas says, this money could have been given to the poor. Jesus responds in verses 7 and 8. But we learn some things about Judas. First of all, we learn that Judas is going to betray Jesus, that this this journey from Bethany to Jerusalem is one in which Jesus is going to be betrayed. We learn that Judas has a real judgmental streak. It doesn't really matter to him one way or the other how Mary's money is used. He didn't have the 300 denarii to begin with. He wasn't going to get the 300 denarii unless she did what he wanted her to do for purposes that were less than pure. And yet, Judas is more than happy To call her out publicly on how she used her money. Judas is more than happy to tell her how she should have done something with it that she didn't do. We also learned that Judas has a serious character flaw. We know that. Here is we're not quite heading into Holy Week, but we're not far from it. We know that Judas has more than one character flaw, but here's the one we learn about here. It's that he's a thief. Judas is a thief. He's the treasurer of the disciples, and when he wants something, he is a little, a little more keen than he ought to be to simply take out what he wishes and do with it as he pleases. A man I know got a call from a woman in his church, his treasurer. It was a Sunday afternoon about 20 years ago. And he drives up in her yard and she comes out of the door running toward him, weeping, weeping. She says, I'm a thief, I'm a thief. He says, now what in the world makes you say you're a thief? She said, for 15 years I've been keeping two sets of books for the church. I'm a thief. At which point my friend says, yes, you are a thief. You are. It's one of the few instances like that where there was a beautiful reconciliation story that followed that. She made things right again. It took a long time to make things right again. She managed to continue to be a part of that congregation. She is not, nor ever will be again, the treasurer of that church. Judas we are told, has this serious character flaw. He's a thief. And then we learn about Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Now, if you had to think about Lazarus and Mary and Martha, if you had to tell me a a story in which they uh, figure prominently, you would probably point to Luke chapter 10, another gospel, the gospel of Luke chapter 10. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. And Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. It's why church people have said things like, just call me Martha, for many years now. It's why some people can continue to say, you know, I, I struggle between being a Mary and being a Martha. So with that in mind, we look at John's description of this. John says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he has raised from the dead. Now, by the way, there comes a point in theology of the early church where whom he had raised from the dead almost becomes Lazarus's last name. Whenever we hear about Lazarus, we hear about Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. This was such a description of Lazarus. Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, that we just read. Our text today is chapter 12 of John, verses 1 through 8, verses 9 and following. Talk about what a hard time this causes Lazarus to have. Lazarus becomes a marked man. He is the visible walking manifestation of a miracle. And those who want to turn their backs on Jesus have to contend with Lazarus walking around. And so there is even a plot, even a plot to kill Lazarus. Six days before the Passover, he comes and he stays in the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And they gave a dinner there. Martha served. We're not surprised by that at all. Martha's the serving type. Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, let me just say something about Martha and Mary. Number one, we can't diminish Martha's work. If you've ever been on the band boosters, if you've ever been a part of any organization that attempted to get something done, if you've ever been a part of a church, if there's not a Martha around, not much happens. And so, even though Martha is is the one who serves, she kind of gets uh, overlooked in the story in Luke's account. Uh, She is the one that makes the party happen. And without her, it wouldn't have gone off as it did. On the other hand, we mustn't diminish Mary's love because people like Mary show us what a devotion to Jesus looks like. Sometimes it looks extravagant. Sometimes it looks so extravagant as to be wasteful. There's a small United Methodist Church outside of Columbia, South Carolina, and there's a Sunday school class there that about 20 years ago, they had been together for some time, and there was a woman and her husband. They were part of this Sunday school class. And... To put it bluntly, they had almost nothing. They'd been in love, married for almost a half century, and they would laugh about how she never had gotten a proper engagement ring. She had only gotten whatever the husband had had a chance to scrape up money to buy. And so this Sunday school class decided with her husband's help to give this dear woman and her husband proper rings for their 50th wedding anniversary on their 50th anniversary the tears flowed the celebration was had now, there were people all over that community who could have told that Sunday school class better ways they might have spent that money Buying a diamond ring for somebody who's been married for 50 years. What in the world do you think spending money in that kind of way? I'll tell you what I think. I think this dear man and this woman were loved by those around them. And I think that love was extravagant love. And I think that love helped them to see Jesus' love. For them, As we look at the text today, the theme of life and death comes up. It takes place, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. That's practically Lazarus's last name, like I said. But then at the very end of this passage, we find, leave her alone, Jesus is saying to, Ju- to Judas. She bought it, this costly bottle of perfume, She's anointing my feet, but whatever's left over, she's going to keep it for the day of my burial. Lazarus has been raised from the dead, but Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm on my way from Bethany to Jerusalem, and at Jerusalem I will die. And when I die, the world will be saved. Leave her alone. She bought it. The sister of the one I raised from the dead for the day of my burial, which is coming soon. He says, You will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. He's quoting here from Deuteronomy 15. Since there will never cease to be some need on the earth, I therefore command you open your hand to the poor and the needy neighbor in your land. There will never come a time in your life or mine when generosity is not called for. There will never come a time when God does not call us to be a giving people. There will always, always, always be need. But in addition to the need that we might see around us every day, there are chances that we have to offer extravagant love. Now, I call these once-in-a-lifetime extravagances, opportunities for extravagance. If we're lucky, we might get three, maybe four or five in a lifetime. But there are these once-in-a-lifetime opportunities to make a difference and to be the kind of person that Jesus calls us to be because we are so full of the love of Jesus that we are full to overflowing. Now, extravagant generosity, that is not about earning our way to heaven. You're not going to earn your way to heaven. It's by grace we're saved. It's not about other people patting us on the back and saying, good job, good job. Sometimes this extravagant generosity is done without our left hand knowing what our right hand is doing. But there are these opportunities. When we are given the chance to do something that is so meaningful that for someone, for some scenario, for some group or something. Things will never be the same. I love the way The gospel says, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Okay, I really wanted to bring my incense. I am an incense-burning pastor. Sometimes you will open the door in my study, and it will be smoky, smoky, smoky. I am not smoking a cigar. I am burning incense. You can see the shafts of light through the window. It's absolutely amazing. We had a group of firefighters that came in to get, uh, early, early in the pandemic, they came in to get their first vaccine. And one of them said, there's a fire, there's a fire in the church. Paul Johnson said, no, <laughs> it's just the pastor. Just the pastor burning incense. I was going to do that, but I know that about one in a hundred people has this, um, this real inability to, to be in the presence of smells. But I, I wish that you could know how amazing spikenard smells. In Jerusalem, at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, there's this, this large slab of marble, which is the slab of marble upon which it is said that the body of Jesus is prepared. And there, dripping onto that slab of marble is this extraordinary blend of spices. And if you place your hand on that on that marble the scent will be with you you can wash your hands you can bathe you can do whatever you want but two days later you still can smell on your hand this scent that is so unique and so amazing The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It shows that the perfume wasn't imitation. It was real. It shows that this is powerful, pungent stuff. And you know, Mary didn't have a whole lot to say to Judas after he publicly rebuked her. Jesus was the one who responded. But I wish Mary had had the opportunity. And I think if she had had the opportunity to defend herself, I think she would have said, I did it because I love Jesus. I did it because I love Jesus. Some of the things that you think other people have done that are wasteful and extravagant, the the ways that they have been generous, sometimes, sometimes maybe they just did it because they love Jesus. Maybe you have been misunderstood before. Why in the world does she keep doing this? Well, I do it because I love Jesus. Maybe there's the once or twice or or three times in a lifetime call that you can recognize that if you accept it, if you give of yourself and your heart, something or somebody will never be the same again. It's like pouring fragrance on the feet of Jesus. Calling attention to life, to his death, to his resurrection, and to love. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Smell is such a crazy thing. It's one of the most powerful of our senses. I could smell right now the blend of spices from the church of the Holy Sepulchre, and know exactly what it was. We lost our dog a couple of weeks ago, and one of the interesting things about that is, is the smell. I can still smell. My dog. It wasn't a great smell when she was alive, <laughs> but it, it's nostalgic. It's poignant uh, for me to think about that. Clothing of people that, that we love, it's the scent still there and can bring us back years and years ago. Now I want, you to, I want you to breathe in deeply. Smell. This is the smell of a United Methodist Church that is not yet 25 years old. But if you walk into a United Methodist Church that has been around more than 50 years, they all have this smell of decaying hymnals. They have this certain scent that you would recognize. The smell is incredible. Mary pours this extraordinarily expensive bottle of perfume at Jesus' feet. The smell The fragrance fills the house. Judas, the one with all the problems, points a finger and says, you should have done something more responsible with that. And we know what Judas will be responsible for in the days and the weeks to come. Jesus recognizes it as an act of love. Our senses get involved when we celebrate Holy Communion. Our senses get involved. Smell. Taste. Touch. Our senses get involved as we say together, Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again and we hear the congregation. Our senses get involved as we see the bread broken The cup filled. You were invited to recognize today Jesus Christ's extravagant love for you.